Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? Well, I have very, very exciting news. I mean, I know last week I had Stephen Fry on the podcast, but come on. I've just had notification that I can order a new bin to put my recyclable stuff in. I can't wait. I've been trying to get on and obviously everybody's doing it because the system keeps hanging. You, it, life doesn't get better, really, does it, than that? Little things and and all that, but no little things today. We've got some amazing, big, wonderful, gorgeously brilliant books to talk to you about. Um, All of these today are winners as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah, I I just can't wait to, to talk to you about them. And we've got a great author interview. So let me take you through the five books we have today. So the first one is called Her Perfect Twin by Sarah Bonner. Then we've got A Killing in November by Simon Mason. It does feel odd saying November when we're in January, but hey, we'll go with it. Um, Opal Country by Chris Hammer. Uh, Big Panda and Tiny Dragon by James Norbury. And The Last House on the Street by Diane Chamberlain. All of these books kept me gripped and I hope they do you for you as well. Let's get stuck in straight away. So as I mentioned, the first book is Her Perfect Twin uh, by Sarah Bonner. Here's the blurb, simple but to the point. When Megan discovers photographs of her estranged identical twin sister on her husband's phone, she wants answers. Leah already has everything Megan has ever wanted. Fame, fortune, freedom to do what she wants. And when Megan confronts Leah, an argument turns to murder. The only way Megan can get away with killing her twin is to become her. But then lockdown hits. How can she continue living two lives? And what happens if someone else knows her secret too? Wow. Um, uh, Oh, no, Philippa, don't say what you think. I've got pieces of paper going everywhere and books falling everywhere. Sorry, I'm just going to put everything down and then pick everything up again so we are organised. But before I tell you what I think, I've got to read the first sentence. Um, So let's go. So this is... Okay, yeah, okay. First sentence, chapter one. I have no memory of my husband taking this photo. Simple, to the point, and let me tell you what I thought about this book. I thought it was fresh. I thought it managed to reduce a book that could have gone on and on into a much shorter, what, 323 pages. It cuts out all the sort of the nonsense. It's just compelling. 
I thought it had good twists, great viewpoints. There were some wow moments. And, you know, if this is what she does on her first published book, then I can't wait to read more of hers because this is this is a book with a difference and uh, really keeps you guessing what, what's going to happen. Um, but as always, enough about me waffling. Shall we talk to Sarah now? So Sarah Bonner, author of Her Perfect Twin, Welcome to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Philippa. And thank you so much for having me on to talk about it. Had to have you on, Sarah. As always, I start with the basic question. What gave you the idea for this brilliant book? It actually started as a short story. So I was writing a whole load of short stories in the the summer of 2020, just trying to see if uh, kind of short form fiction would help to unlock some of that writer's block that I think a lot of us had during lockdown. Mm. And I had this idea for this story about a woman trying to decide if she should go on a second date with a guy who thought she was her identical twin. And I didn't ha- didn't start it with any context. I just started with this voice of this woman having a debate with herself, essentially. And then it got to the the kind of final twist at the end. And just out of nowhere, I was like, well, maybe she's pretending to be her identical twin because she killed her and she's trying to get away with murder. And I have no idea where that thought came from. <laughs> um, but it, it stuck with me. And then a couple of other things came together and it it turned into something I thought, oh, there actually could be a novel there. Um, and it was it was great fun to write um, and, uh, you know, really helpful for me in terms of getting through that period of lockdown and things as well. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love a book that you can describe to somebody else very briefly and they immediately want to read it because it sounds so interesting. And I think your book achieves that because it's it's got that initial, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you want to pick it up and see and see what happens. Did you always know how it would end? Uh, the ending actually was a bit of a surprise and a bit of a change when I found my agent. So the very first thing she said to me was, would you change the ending? And uh, she told me her idea for how she thought it should end, which was what I'd always wanted to write, but hadn't felt brave enough to do. And wow. so that was the very first thing that we worked on together was to actually change that to the ending that it has now, which I won't give away, obviously, but I think it's uh, it works in the context of the novel a lot better. So That's very generous of you, though, because when you've written, you know, your book and, and you spent so much time on it for someone to say, oh, how would you feel if it ended in a different way? Some of, I think I'd take that very personally. Even if I knew it was the right thing, I might humph a bit about that. I think uh, a lot of it is how my agent um, phrased it in terms of, <laughs> yeah. I love the book. Yeah. But... Positive phrase. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she's very good at that. Um, <laughs> and, and she's absolutely right. And I don't think now, I don't think it could have ended any other way. Um, so, yeah, I was very, very pleased that we we worked on that change. So. And were you making changes as you went along? I mean, you've mentioned about when you first started writing and then saw how the the picture of the book sort of widened completely, but did you still make changes further on? Um, so I ended up writing pretty close to what I'd even um, originally anticipated. I wrote, I started off with a one-page synopsis that actually ended up being pretty much how it is in the final book. Um, it didn't really change a huge amount. Um, and certainly uh, by the time I'd signed with my agent, 
the only changes we made were to that ending and then just a few little bits through the rest of the novel. Uh, but it stayed pretty stable from that first kind of draft that I did uh, right at the beginning. So, And we've got these characters. We've got Megan and Leah, the twins, both with their own issues. Uh, are they both equally as loud in your head when they're talking to you? Um, yes and no. So Megan was always... Uh, she kind of came to me almost fully formed in terms of this voice because she's got quite a distinctive voice and that uh, that set the kind of narrative style and I had to write it um, first person. There was no other way that I was going to get mm. her personality on the page um, really other than writing it like that. Um, Leah, in the way that the book is written, it's not really a spoiler, Megan kills her and that happens quite early in the book. And so you don't really see Leah per se. You see Leah as a flashback memory through mm. Megan's eyes. So you're still getting a bit of the flavour of Megan kind of layered on top when you see Leah. So I think she wasn't she wasn't ever as formed as Megan. But Megan's such a big personality that I don't think anyone else could have been in the novel. <laughs> I think they would have overshadowed <laughs> Are you a twin yourself? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And this is uh, now the running joke in my family is that I am not currently a twin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, I have I have an older brother um, and he's my only sibling. So I don't have to. I have friends who are twins. um, But twins have always just been completely fascinating to me um, because you are a genetic clone but you're also an entirely independent person. And I've Mm. always been really fascinated by that interplay between how much of us is what we're born with and how much of our identity is kind of created over the course of our lives. And obviously identical twins, because they are genetic clones in essence, offer a really interesting study into that. So it's always, it's always absolutely fascinated me. So, um, going back and doing a lot of the research to write her perfect twin was yeah just so interesting to to see that and how those relationships can uh can form and obviously in the case of Megan and Leah absolutely disastrously collapse so oh gosh and and some I was just interested if you'd uh known any twins because this isn't um the healthiest uh sister relationship I think we could say and uh, I just wondered if that yes you'd had some experience of a friend or you know if what your twin experience was that led you to the this characterization so I I know some twins um I know a couple of sets of of twins who are now kind of older adults um and I think there are some twins I went to school with as well um but I think that sibling dynamic has always fascinated me. I come from a weirdly small family. So both of my parents are only children. So I don't have any aunts or uncles or cousins or you know any extended family. And mm. so how those uh, sibling relationships particularly have always fascinated me because apart from my brother, I don't have any of that um, that that knowledge and understanding. So I think I've always been a lot more observant of how other people interact within their families because I don't have that myself. 
Um, mm. So yeah, I've always found that particularly interesting. So it was really uh, interesting to explore how that would work in her perfect twin. Um, and obviously what would have led these two twins to a position where although Megan does something that is is you know, bad, murdering is bad, we all know that, but you do want her to get away with it. <laughs> so writing a dynamic that would, I'm not saying Leah deserved it, but that maybe as the reader you would accept that that was a reasonable outcome was was quite challenging, but also you know hugely rewarding as well to explore that. And as you're reading about the, as you say, this dynamic between the two of them, it's a book that I felt sort of kept me on my toes and gave me the <gasps> moments. Was that something that you consciously wanted to do? It was. I love that when I'm reading. So <laughs> I I love to really immerse myself uh, in a book and then that you get to a point and you suddenly have that <gasps> moment and I, I did it to myself a little bit um, with a couple of the twists that I hadn't necessarily planned in advance. And I remember sitting writing and suddenly having an idea for something and being like, oh, oh, I quite like that. Um, and so I did try and do that. It is difficult to do. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, crikey, the book's got a pace to it. it. You know, somebody might have taken, I don't know, eight hundred pages to write something really slow and stodgy. And you've just pared it down. It's um, it just gives you action. It's a book that if you're reading it, you're you're not going to want to put down. You know, you're going to forget food and well, nobody I could never forget the food, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. But you're going to forget the the making of the food and the sleeping and the working and just want to to read it. So uh, you've mentioned that these, that's the sort of book that you enjoy. Is it sort of um, a thriller or is it any book you enjoy that has the sort of the pace and the surprises? I do like a pacey book and I do prefer shorter books as well. Mm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, of reading, you know, eight, 900 page books, partly because I'm a terrible person who generally breaks the spine on their paperbacks and therefore big books are very difficult to read um but yeah i'm i'm a huge fan of thrillers and particularly the more kind of domestic thrillers and the the types of thrillers that take relatively ordinary people and put them into extraordinary situations so megan is is beyond being an identical twin which obviously is quite unusual but outside of that she's very normal um, she has a, a relatively dull job. Um, she's married, not particularly happily. So she is quite normal. And then she suddenly finds herself in this completely bonkers situation. And I love that in a book because I find that really, really immersive that I can picture then that scenario happening. And I find that I get sucked much more into those stories where I can identify with those characters and the situations that they're in. So did you find when you'd finished writing it that you felt exhilarated or exhausted? Um, a bit of both. I wrote it really quickly, really quickly, um, partly because we were uh, autumn of 2020, so we were kind of talking about potentially having some more COVID restrictions. 
Um, I'd been made redundant, so I didn't have a day job. Um, we don't have children either. So I had a lot of time to kind of pour into writing. So I think I wrote the first draft in about six weeks. Gosh, and, that's uh, fast. My goodness, that's some dedication. It was very far. I mean, I didn't have a lot of other distractions and I had no social life as well because you weren't really allowed to go and do anything. Um so it was quite easy to write with that level of intensity. And I think that comes out in the story and the way that the pace works because it was written so quickly. Um, and I think that, I think it lent itself to that. Wow. Six weeks. That's, that's extraordinary. Had, this is your first book. I mean, have you, have you always wanted to write? So it's my first published book. Um, ah. I think I am... Quite like most other writers, I had already written something um, that is sitting in a drawer, will probably never see the light of day, but you never know, um, but that I kind of think of as being my training novel. So the the novel where I learn how to create characters and how to plot, or that actually you did have to have a plot, um, which I think is possibly the issue with that first book. It doesn't really have a plot. <laughs> Um, and so I'd spent a couple of years working on this book that is now in a drawer. And then I was wondering what I did with it. And I knew it needed some more work and I didn't quite know what else to do with it. So I was looking at courses and things and looking at the Faber Academy and, and those kind of things. And then lockdown happened. And so I went from having not very much time to have and worrying about that in terms of doing a course to having loads of time but no financial security to fund the course so um I kind of said to myself look let's take a step back go and write some short stories read some books around writing read more fiction yourself as well and let's you know see where we are in a couple of months and a couple of months later I was in the middle of writing Her Perfect Twin so <laughs> So it was first published novel, definitely, but definitely not the first thing I'd written. That's a brave person, though, to accept that the book that you've spent hours, days, weeks, months writing is, uh, as you say, your sort of your training ground and that you're going to start again a new chapter one and and, and go again. But did you know sort of in your heart that oh, you, you've really got something good and you'd learnt enough from book one to to really sort of step it up I suppose yeah I think so so I I remember that the the most difficult thing that I did with the first book was I tried to write a synopsis at the end and I couldn't write a synopsis that made any coherent sense which is the point at which I realized it probably didn't have a strong enough plot to it and so with her perfect twin I did it in the opposite way so I wrote the synopsis first and that was the point at which I went oh actually I do think there's a book here and knowing that you had a structure that probably was going to work then everything just fell into place at that point because I knew what the midpoint was going to be and I knew what I wanted from the ending up to a point and so it was a lot easier to get into it and to start writing it. And then as I started writing it, other ideas started to to kind of flow. And it just, it it felt like it just all came together in that one 
mad, crazy six weeks where I basically didn't do anything apart from write. <laughs> that's, that's amazing there. So, so you you wrote the book, you'd finished that bit and, and then you wanted it to get published. You mentioned about in, the interaction with your agent. But what what's the story from you typing the end to then the book getting published? So I'd always wanted to pursue getting it published um, after I'd written it. And I think I didn't really know how to go about that. I think that's you know, the same for a lot of writers. And I, I am quite lucky that I do have a friend who has written a bit before. And so she was able to give me some advice. And she basically said, you, know, you need to go and find an agent, go and read the Writers and Artists Yearbook, um, do some research and, and get it out there. Um, and so that's basically what I did. And I spent a couple of weeks researching every agent that I could find, created a huge spreadsheet. My background's in finance, so I do love a good spreadsheet. So I had a huge spreadsheet that had all of the agents in the UK and what they were looking for and what kind of things they liked themselves. Um, and then went through a, a process of narrowing that down into a list. And then I got myself tied up in knots over making sure that I had the perfect list of people to submit it to. And then as I was filling in a few gaps in the spreadsheet, I noticed that DHH Literary, who were one of my top kind of favourites on the list already, were running a pitch competition where you submit your um, your pitch pack, so your, your query letter, your synopsis, and the first 5,000 words, and they will offer to um, some individuals some slots on Zoom to chat with one of their agents and the deadline was the next day and so despite having you know said well I will then sit down and I will write the perfect query letter I had 24 hours to turn it around so I I you know got all of that done didn't sleep I didn't think um sent it off and a few days later was offered a pitching slot and because I was so close to the deadline it was the back end of the next week um so I had a chat with Hannah uh, who asked me to send her the full. So I sent her the full manuscript that afternoon. She read it over the weekend and offered to represent me on the Monday morning. So it was very quick and just completely, I was so lucky that I found the competition uh, or, or the um, the pitch event when I did, was able to submit to it. And it was just the kind of thing that Hannah was looking for at that point in time. Um and she obviously was in the frame of mind to take on a new client, had the space to work on it um, quite quickly. And uh, yeah, just went from there. <laughs> That's wonderful. And how quickly once she was happy with the book, did you then go to publishers to uh, get some interest? So she, she signed me at the beginning of December and then we worked on it over Christmas and uh went out on submission at the beginning of January so yeah not not very long at all and then of course gave me a completely false representation of how quickly publishing moves because it's not normally that fast yes quite so pretty soon you had your publishing contract and and then it was just the the wheels the cogs of the system moving. Yeah, so we were out on submission for about a month before Hodder Studio uh made an offer. Um 
which obviously we accepted and then, yeah, started working on it. I suppose my next question is, what's been the most surprising thing to you of the whole process? Has there been anything that you just weren't aware of? I, I think there's one of the things that has really surprised me is how much work goes into actually getting a book ready and out on the shelves and how many people are involved in that as a process. Because I think um, before I was part of this world, I think I just had this idea that you write a book and then, you know, someone um, goes and corrects your typos and it gets bound and it's, it's on the <laughs> shelves. Um, and it's it's so much more than that. And it's it's a much more collaborative experience than I'd anticipated, but in a really great way. So I know that the the book as it is now is so much stronger than it could ever have been if it was just me working on it. The editorial support um, from both my agent and then from Sarah, who's my editor at Hodder Studio, has just been absolutely phenomenal and has taken it to a level that I, yeah, I could never have done by myself. So it's it's fantastic to be part of a team and everyone is is trying to make it as good as it possibly can be. So, and we're recording this a few days before publication day, but when this episode is out, it will be a few days after publication day. So, um, bearing that in mind, how how do you feel now with it day being days away? It's it's a very bizarre feeling. So I think exacerbated by um, all of this has happened in lockdown. Um, I've never actually met anyone in my publisher. Um, we're going to go out for lunch in a couple of weeks and I will finally meet them. But I've never met them in person. Everything's been done over Zoom or emails or phone calls. Um, and so it still all feels a little surreal. So, yeah, I'm very excited to go and see it on a shelf. Um, so I've had my author copy. So I do I have held it in my hands as an actual book, which is fantastic. Um, but there is always this little voice in the back of my head going, are you sure this isn't actually a hoax? <laughs> so I think the day that I go out for lunch and potentially go and see my publisher's offices as well will also make it feel a lot more real. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting. And I just can't wait for people to start reading it. So what's next? So next is another uh, thriller. Uh, so I had a two book contract with Hodder Studio. So I've just sent that to my editor a couple of weeks ago. And how did you find that? Because some people really struggle with the second book and some people don't. How have you got on? So the hardest bit for me about writing the second book is that I put all the good stuff in the first one. <laughs> so, you know, right. you spend you spend your lifetime collecting little anecdotes and little things of, of people that, that you've seen and, and all this stuff. And then so like sitting to write book two, and particularly, you know, in um, another year where we haven't done a lot, um that's been one of the most difficult things um and so I'm looking forward to over the next couple of months hopefully going out and about a little bit more and then maybe weaving some more things back <laughs> through it um but yeah that's definitely been oddly difficult so if anybody sees you and you start getting your notepad out and making notes they need to be very careful what they're saying or doing because you're you're out on the hunt for fresh material. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um and yeah and then trying to remember who's maybe inspired some of those. I I sent my best friend a copy 
a couple of days ago with a little note saying uh the the bit about the best friend and the hot tub yeah so apologies <laughs> for that because uh that was um Oh god, that sounds really bizarre out of context. <laughs> There's a line where she mentions her best friend got a little bit tipsy at a trade show and ordered a hot tub, which a friend of mine did. Um, that puts it into context. Better. Yes, sorry, yes, I just that. My friend in the hot tub sounds a yeah. bit weird. <laughs> so all your friends are being a, a, a bit uh, concerned now about what what secrets are revealed in their future books. They they are, and um, I don't think they're they're not genuinely concerned, but um, I think they are waiting to see what else I put in. And I have in the next one, there are a couple of lines that I know a friend of mine will recognise um, as being something that is a bit of an in-joke between us, which I really love those kind of things because I know that she's going to read it and there's going to be a little tiny line that she's going to find hilariously funny and no one else will notice. Yeah. Well, we can't wait for more. Uh, Sarah Bonner, author of Her Perfect Twin, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So the next book I want to talk to you about, I really want to talk to you about this book, is A Killing in November by Simon Mason. Okay, come on, let's read the blurb first, Philippa, before we say what we think. We like it a lot. Wait, Philippa. <laughs> oh my goodness, I've got two voices going. This is where we're heading to. I still haven't got the wheelie bin order. This is it's taking a while. Anyway, come on. 
this is the blurb. Ryan Wilkins grew up on a trailer park, a member of what many people would call the criminal classes. But he notices things. They stick to his eyes. His professional partner, D.I. Ray Wilkins, of affluent Nigerian London heritage, is an impeccably groomed, smooth-talking graduate of Oxford. You wouldn't think they would get on. They don't. But when a young woman is found strangled at Barnabas Hall, they're forced to. Rich Oxford is not Ryan's natural habitat and they do not appreciate his forceful line of questioning. But what was the dead woman doing there? Uh, OK, first sentence. Come on, Philippa, first sentence. Uh, right, here we go. <laughs> One. Everyone said the security at Barnabas was a joke. I loved this book so much. The minute the next one comes out, I am getting it immediately. It's got fresh characters. It's got fresh writing. It's got sort of fresh crimes. It's a total winner. This, I mean, this book, for me, it's a new author to me. He's gone from new to auto by wow, wow, wow. If you like your crime and... Uh, OK, if you want absolute cosy crime, maybe but maybe not. But still, I'd say read it. It's a book with a difference. It's fresh. It's what we need in this world. It's um, it's I really liked it. I like the different characters. I believed in them. I uh, there were pages when I was just like, I've got to I've got to find out what happens quickly. Um, It's a, it's a great, great book. Killing in November. Simon Mason. Wow. And double wow. Uh, so. Uh, on to another book. I've just finished reading this one. And uh, gosh, I learned some things from this book. So this is called Opal Country by Chris Hammer. And let me read you the blurb if I can find it. Here we go. Opals. In the desolate outback town of Finnegan's Gap, police struggle to maintain law and order. Thieves pillage opal mines. Religious fanatics recruit vulnerable youngsters and billionaires do as they please. Then an opal miner is found crucified and left to rot down his mine. Nothing about the miner's death is straightforward, not even who found the body. Homicide detective Ivan Lukic? Lusik? sorry, can't pronounce that very well, is sent to investigate, assisted by inexperienced young investigator Nell Buchanan. But Finnegan's gap has already ended one police career and damaged others, and soon both officers face damning allegations and internal investigations. Have Ivan and Nell been set up, and if so, by whom? As time runs out, their only chance at redemption is to find the killer, but the more they uncover, the more harrowing the mystery becomes, and a past long forgotten is thrown into scorching sunlight uh right let's go to first sentence we've got a map i like maps but maps always panic me that i need to memorize every detail because the vital clue to who done it is in the map um so that's yes i do like a map but it does worry me anyway here we go so this is the prologue as i say first sentence of the prologue the night is perfect for ratting I learned so much about this book. I didn't know about opal mines. I had no idea. I didn't realise of the communities there. Um, I spent a lot of the book just learning lots of things that, that were really interesting. I don't mean learning in a bad way. Uh, I thought I thought it was really good. I'd heard about this author before because he'd written Scrublands and received various awards for that. I think I've got it, but I haven't read it yet. Shame on me. I really enjoyed it. It's a great, it's again, a different sort of crime book. Um, I, As I say, I found it interesting and wanted to find out what happened. 
it's not a simple solution. So if you're someone who just wants something sort of one plus one equals two, then you might find it gets a bit complicated. Um, but having said that, I just thought it was a really, uh, yeah, a, a good read. It's a big book. How many pages? Was it four? 480. Yeah, so it, it is a big one, but you, you're rewarded for that time that you spend reading it. It's easy enough to read, so I'm not saying it's a book that's that you should be put off from reading um it's just got a lot to take in at the end and so you need the time to do it but yeah very good book um so that was just to recap opal country by chris hammer next we go on to a book now i received an email from one of my listeners i get emails from you now and again oh, i should tell you what my email address is shouldn't i quick book reviews at outlook.com and debbie emailed me lovely debbie and it's fair to say she was encouraging me to get this next book. Um, and she said it, it's a good book for people who are lonely. It's got lovely pictures. It's just uh, a very meaningful and significant book. And would I have a read of it? So I thought, well, uh, if Debbie says, would I? I say, yes, I will. So I obtained a copy of Big Panda and Tiny Dragon by James Norbury. And I read it. If you like the uh, Charlie Maxey book, what was it called? The the fox, the mole, the this, the that. Um, you know, you know the one I mean, uh, which we well, I loved that book. It's very similar. And in fact, I've been put off from getting this book because I thought, oh, it's just going to be like that, but not as good. And in some ways, it is like that. You've got these animals, the sort of the panda, big panda and tiny dragon uh, going through the countryside, talking to each other over a period of time. Um, and it is the, the very sort of short words that are used, sentences. And each page is something that probably you could resonate with you and that you it sort of touches you. Um, some of the pages you might use as prints and frame them it's that it's the same sort of vibe but the message is different I think so the Charlie Maxey book um was more for me about I don't know just um being at peace being okay with where you are and how to deal with all the headwinds that are coming your way whereas this book as Debbie said is more about um who you are in yourself and how to cope if you are lonely and all sorts of things like that. So it's a lovely book. It's well worth a read. Listen, you could sit in the bath and read it very easily. It's not going to take days of your time. If you're struggling with reading, this could be a great way to get back into it. If you're looking for a gift for a friend and you've already bought them the Charlie Maxey book, then this could be one. I'll read you the blurb. So I've uh, given it um, the, the normal focus that I would. So here we go. Beloved friends, Big Panda and Tiny Dragon journey through the seasons of the year together and although they often get lost, it leads them to discover many beautiful things. They explore the hardships and happiness that connect us all. They learn how to live in the moment, how to be at peace with uncertainty and how to find the strength to overcome life's obstacles together. And um, James Norbury mentions in his notes for this book that he was inspired a lot by uh, Buddhist philosophy and spirituality and wanted to share those ideas. And, you know, that comes across beautifully. Um, it's just it's just a lovely book. 
Um, and uh, yeah, one uh, one to give, one to just read when you need to sit and have a bit of space. So Debbie, thank you very much. Keep the recommendations coming. Uh, so that was Big Panda and Tiny Dragon by James Norbury. That final book alert. My goodness, this was... It's one of those books, you know, like the Tattooist of Auschwitz, where it's a well, I had my own views about that book. But anyway, the concept of it is it's a good book. Um, it's one that you will remember, but it's harrowing as you go. Well, this next one is a bit like that, but not quite. Here we go. Secrets won't stay silent forever. 2020. A recently widowed architect moves into the home she and her late husband designed, heartbroken that he will never cross the threshold. But when disturbing things begin to happen, it's clear that someone is sending her a warning. Who is trying to frighten her away and why? 1965, a young white female student becomes involved in the fight for civil rights in North Carolina, falling in love with one of her fellow activists in a time and place where an interracial relationship must be hidden from family, friends and especially the re-emerging Ku Klux Klan. As tensions rise in the town, she realises not everyone is who they appear to be. Decades later, past and present are set to collide in the last house on the street. Um, so clearly this is a, a difficult subject. Racism, 1960s, South America. It's it's not pleasant. Well, it, it's good in some ways because you read of the length some people were going to to break down, the, break down those barriers and just educate people. But equally, there, there were some nasty people around. And uh, so it does make for uncomfortable reading. It's a brilliant story. It's very hard to read, but it's very well written. Um, I like the movement between the two different times. I found it memorable, um, fascinating. It's a very hard topic, and so I applaud the author for doing it. And I think the way that she's done it with these two time frames again is is a good way. It sort of dilutes the impact of just what's so awful. Um but, yeah, is it a good read? Do I say it's a good read when it's a book that I found so upsetting? Yes, because it's written well, it's compelling, um, and it, it hooked me in. Um, would I want to read lots of books on this subject? No. But has it made me think that Diane Chamberlain's an author to look out for? Yes, it has. So hopefully that makes sense. Oh, I've not done first sentence, have I? Silly me. Let me go to and do first sentence. Uh, so chapter one. I'm in the middle of a call with a contractor when Natalie, our new administrative assistant, pokes her head into my office. I put the call on hold. Yeah, I think I've said everything I need to. Um, I'll be looking out for Diane Chamberlain, seeing what other books she writes. So five different books, hopefully some interesting ones there. We've had Her Perfect Twin by Sarah Bonner. Um, really enjoyed that. Uh, Killing in November by Simon Mason. Oh, my goodness, that book. Um, Opal Country and Chris by Chris Hammer. Learned a lot about opals there. Uh, Big Panda and Tiny Dragon by James Norbury, as suggested by Debbie. And finally, The Last House on the Street by Diane Chamberlain. Um, but of course, you'd expect me to say it and I'm going to because it's true. I've got some amazing books to talk to you about next week. Can't wait. A very, very good great wonderful all of the above interview um do i say who it is now i don't know do i don't yes i'm going to say come on philippa be brave it's janice 
Hallett, author of The Appeal, that if you haven't read The Appeal, what planet have you been on? And she has just published her latest book, The Twyford Code. So we'll be talking to Janice next week. So that's very exciting. So stay tuned and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bun of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.